We've said my entire career that survivorship starts at diagnosis, but that's really challenging to put into practice. And so once someone's diagnosed with cancer, to embed them in a surveillance program where we're understanding the needs and we're getting them the right care for those in a, in a timely manner to prevent some of the long-term and, and late effects of cancer therapies if we can or to catch them before those small problems spiral into five other problems downstream. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle. Today, we're talking about cancer survivorship. We have three special guests. They are Dr. Catherine Alfano. She's the Vice President for Cancer Care Management and Research at the Northwell Health Cancer Institute. We have Dr. Jennifer Ligabel. She's the Director of the Leonard P. Zackham Center for Integrative Therapies and Healthy Living and a Medical Oncologist at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. We also have Deborah McElligott. She's an integrative health and wellness coach at the Center for Wellness and Integrative Medicine at the Katz Institute for Women's Health. Thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. Dr. Alfano, what are some of the issues that cancer survivors deal with? Right. So, so when someone gets diagnosed with cancer, they have very big looming questions, right? First and foremost, how am I going to get treated? What's going to work best for me? Secondly, how's this going to go for me? What are the what are the problems that I'm going to develop uh, along the way? Third, what clinicians do I need to see and in what order and when? And fourth, what is the rest of my life going to look like? Right? And those are the questions that we are trying to enable um, our our patients and our clinicians to have better conversations about answering so that we're delivering personalized care that can help anticipate the answers to those questions. Uh, so that patients understand that they have a personalized care map and that the system, their clinicians are watching out for the things that, that, that they need to watch out for and that really we have their back. So I assume when, when a patient's diagnosed with cancer and they're not really thinking about maybe starting to, to get healthy and doing some of these things. I mean, when we talk about survivorship on day one, how does that work when, when you talk to a patient and say, we got to start talking about survivorship right now? Well, I think when a woman's first diagnosed with breast cancer, naturally she's thinking a lot about her breast cancer. But what we have to help think about is that the research has shown that getting diagnosed and treated for cancer can serve as a teachable moment for thinking about your health. So maybe you you didn't have time to think about your health. It was the last thing you were thinking about. Uh, and then you go through this cancer and you think, wow, this is an opportunity for me to think about how to optimize my long-term health. And we know that that's a really powerful motivator. And it's important because, especially in the case of early stage breast cancer, most of these women are not going to die of their breast cancer. They're going to die of heart disease. So it's an opportunity to be thinking about heart health uh, right off the bat uh, in a way that improves, again, their long-term health and, and well-being. Can I just add something? Absolutely, Dr. Ligabel. So I think the American Society of Clinical Oncology is a large professional group of, of oncologists uh, across the U.S. and really across the world at this point. And part of the work of ASCO, as it's called, has been an obesity initiative that both Dr. Alfano and I have been involved in for the last few years 
A few years ago, we were interested in surveying oncology professionals to ask them, were they talking to their patients about exercise and nutrition and weight as a part of their cancer care? It was a voluntary survey. So most of the people that took the time to fill it out, and it was almost a thousand providers across the globe, indicated that they were talking to to their patients about these topics. And we wanted to follow that up by seeing what was happening on the patient level in terms of whether they were hearing from their oncologists about these topics. And so we launched a survey um, March of 2020. So the timing was was a little bit difficult with the uh, onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. But we had about 2,500 people, cancer survivors from the United States who responded to the survey. And I think one of the things that was the most striking was that 74% of people who responded to the survey indicated that they had made changes in their diets and in their physical activity in an effort to help improve their outcomes from cancer. So people are really looking for information to help them make healthy changes. And the other thing that we saw in that survey was that if a provider did speak to them, and whether that was their oncologist or an oncology nurse or someone else in their care team spoke to them about diet and exercise, they were much more likely to report that they had made changes. So I think that this is something that's really important to patients, and it's increasingly a part of the conversation that oncologists are having with their patients as well. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Alfano and Dr. Ligabel, just tell us about how long you guys have been collaborating and been working together on this issue. Wow. Uh, Do I want to do that math? (laughs) (laughs) Probably 15 years, I'm guessing. You know, Dr. Alfano and I have worked over the years in a lot of different capacities. Uh, We've both worked to support these efforts through ASCO. We've both worked to get large-scale initiatives, really testing the power of lifestyle interventions and improving outcomes in cancer patients off the ground. Uh, We've both worked together to help train the next generation of researchers in this field. So, You know, I think our careers have touched in many ways over these years and kind of different aspects, um, really all focused on helping improve the lives of women with breast cancer and helping to advance the science. I don't know if you want to add anything, Catherine. That was beautifully stated. And I, uh, I, I do think one of the important things that we've been able to do together is contribute to training the next generation of researchers and clinicians right in this area because we're we're very aware that uh, we're all here for only a, a limited amount of time and we need to train up the workforce coming behind us. So that's one of the most wonderful things that we get to do together. Dr. Alfano, you focused on cancer survivorship your entire career, serving as vice president for survivorship at the American Cancer Society. And before that, as deputy director of the Office of Cancer Survivorship at the National Cancer Institute. You've had a top-level view of this issue of long-term cancer care, which you say really has not yet been done right. Why is that, and how do we get it right? You know, one of the things we need to do is to start thinking about the long-term health and well-being of our patients from the moment of diagnosis. 
We've said my entire career that survivorship starts at diagnosis, but that's really challenging to put into practice. And so the things we need to do to put that in practice is to really, once someone's diagnosed with cancer, to embed them in a surveillance program where we're understanding the needs uh, that they're developing and we're getting them the right care for those in in a timely manner. That's during oncology treatment and after oncology treatment for those who transition. And if we start that at diagnosis, it gives us the opportunity to prevent some of the long-term and and late effects of cancer therapies if we can, or to catch them when they're small, meeting those needs uh, before those small problems spiral into five other problems downstream. And that might be clinical care, that might be medical care, like cancer rehabilitation or psychosocial care or addressing the financial needs or exercise and diet interventions. Uh, It can be lots of different kinds of things that really can address the whole person care that we need to be providing for our patients. It seems like a real uh, a real balancing act. It is a balancing act, but I think it's part of understanding how to look at someone uh, in as a total person and to understand the um, the the impact uh, of cancer on their life in a holistic way. Deborah, you're a wellness coach for the Center for Wellness and Integrative Medicine, a part of the CATS Institute, which offers specific programming for breast cancer patients and survivors. Tell us about those programs. Yeah, I'm excited to be part of this panel today. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner, a holistic nurse practitioner, as well as the integrative health and wellness coach. And as part of CATS, our focus is on helping women be healthy across their lifespan um, by creating these lifelong partnerships. And certainly when women are dealing with cancer, you know, this is even more paramount. What's been exciting is that much of the work that we've done throughout the years focusing on cardiac health. The guidelines are similar to focusing on whole person health and healing from this integrative perspective and women dealing with breast cancer. So by the integrative health approach, I mean that we look at the best conventional medicine, all the radiation, the treatments, the tamoxifen, the medications. Then we look at the thousands of years long of integrative therapies, such as the acupuncture, the Tai Chi, the yoga, um, the meditation, the mindfulness. But then we also have this huge focus on self-care. And part of our goal is to empower each woman to be the captain of her ship, to take control of her health and wellness by creating these wonderful partnership teams that we have with our interdisciplinary team to help them heal. Similar to what um, Dr. Ligabel and Dr. Alfano was saying, you know, each week is focused on a different topic, you know, movement, nutrition forming your partnership team, stress management, sleep, you know, putting it all together. I think we've seen many practices that are promising. And I think we have many opportunities with these great minds to expand the way we help women, you know, heal across the spectrum of life and focusing not just on the disease, but on the whole person. Because we know in some of the treatments, you know, we can create other issues because the whole body has to heal besides just the cancer. So We want to keep the heart healthy. We want to keep the woman moving. We want to decrease her stress. So we have we have a huge task, but we also have great teams and great minds looking to put wonderful programs together. 
Yeah, I think what you were saying too about um, you know your training and coaching uh, women how to to manage and, and what you said before too about chair yoga. So maybe you don't have time to go to a yoga studio, but maybe there's some exercises and techniques that you can do right at your desk while you're working. Take five minutes out, ten minutes out, something like that. I think a great example of that is um, we have a program called Tai Chi Easy. So Tai Chi is a wonderful form of meditation, moving meditation and exercise that's normally 26 moves, 46. And many people don't do it because they just can't invest the time or energy. And Tai Chi Easy is a national dissemination project taking just five moves of Tai Chi, incorporating five minutes of meditation, a little bit of self-massage and five minutes of mindfulness into a one-hour program. So how can we take some of these really important, grander ideas and make them succinct so that they're real and available to our patients. Yeah. We talked about some of the things that are happening at the the CATS Institute uh, for Women's Health. Uh, Dr. Ligabel, are you seeing more of this on a national level in the research and the studies that you're doing? Sure. Well, I will say, so Dana Farber, the center I lead is an integrative uh, therapies and healthy living center uh, called the Zakem Center. It was founded at Dana Farber about 20 years ago. And at that point, it was one of the first cancer centers that had an integrated health center as part of the cancer center. Now, almost every cancer center has that Memorial Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson. I think this is really something people have much more come to appreciate is an important part of cancer care. So I would say that there is definitely much more on a clinical level of an incorporation of these types of supported services as part of the cancer center. And there's been a lot more research too, which I think is wonderful to see, especially around things like acupuncture and yoga. There's much more of an appreciation that people go through a cancer experience and are left on the other side with many long-term and late side effects and thoughts about how to prevent them and how to support people during treatment have become much more at the forefront than they were even a decade ago. So I think on the national level, there is definitely much more of an incorporation of these types of services into cancer care and much more research than there was in the past demonstrating the value of different types of supportive services during treatment and after. Dr. Alfano, in addition to your role with the Cancer Institute, you are also a researcher with the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research. How important is that mix when you're trying to lift up an ecosystem like this? Right. So part of our ability to drive more personalized care for women with breast cancer involves laying down the the infrastructure of research in our care so that we can, first of all, understand patient data to personalize that care that we're uh, giving that woman, whether that's getting her on the right uh, anti-cancer therapy from the get-go, the one that's going to work for best for her, because as Dr. Ligabel well knows, uh, cancer therapies are changing all of the time, and it's very difficult to keep up, and it's very difficult to understand what's going to work best for whom. So we have to, first of all, get them on the right anti-cancer therapy. Second of all, understand, anticipate those toxicities that they might develop, those toxicities, the long-term and late effects of cancer, we say. And third, embed them in the right kind of follow-up care for either the rest of their risk period or the rest of their life um, that, really, that really gets them the care that they need. And so it's, it's from diagnosis, like I said before, it's from diagnosis getting them to 
um, to, to either decrease or treat those toxicities by getting them to the right clinician or the right program, as we've been talking about, and then caring for them over the long run. The only way to do that is to build this, what we call a learning health system, where we're using patient data to guide personalized care, and we're capturing the outcomes of those care uh, interventions that feed back into the data cycle that help us understand what works best for whom. So what works best for whom in terms of anti-cancer therapy, what works best for whom in terms of management of toxicities, what works best for whom in terms of a personalized nutrition recommendation, for example, if we were talking about before. So it's really that constant research cycle that we call a learning health system that will allow us to actually personalize our care even more in the future. So Dr. Alfano, tell us why we're starting with breast cancer as we try to incorporate these strategies here. Right. So we're here talking about breast cancer today because obviously it's the month that we all talk about breast cancer. But everything that the, that we need to do, everything I've been talking about in terms of transforming care so that it's more personalized, so that it um, gets women, on, uh, it gets our patients on the right anti-cancer therapy, it mitigates those toxicities, it follows patients over the long run in a personalized way, it makes better use of our limited number of clinicians' time, it engages our patients to self-manage, to do all of those things that they need to do for themselves. All of that, we're starting at Northwell to build with women with breast cancer for several good reasons. Number one, because we have incredible leadership buy-in and support uh, in breast cancer. Number two, because we know from the nation's research on uh, survivorship that engaging with women in breast cancer, with breast cancer, women with breast cancer want to help. They want to give back. They want to join research studies. They want to be part of a greater community. And third, because when we raise the health of our women, we raise the health of our communities. And we need to start with breast cancer because to the extent that we can help maximize the long-term health and well-being of our breast cancer survivors, we're helping create better, healthier families and healthier communities. And we know that. So it's absolutely the right place for us to start. You know, I think that we recognize that everyone knows somebody who's had breast cancer. There are more than 250,000 women in the United States every single year that are diagnosed with breast cancer. 80% of women with breast cancer survive their breast cancer and become long-term survivors, often individuals who are left with the side effects of therapy. There are also women who suffer from advanced breast cancer, which has a significant impact on their longevity and the quality of life during the years that they're living with the disease. So this is a disease that has an enormous impact on our entire society, on our families, on our communities. And I think that this is definitely a very important place to start these types of initiatives. You mentioned the uh, your role with ASCO's clinical guidelines on nutrition, physical activity, weight management for treatment in cancer patients. Um, how do racial disparities play a role in all this? It's a great question, and I, I can start, but then would certainly uh, also love to involve my co-panelists in this. But, you know, I think that we recognize that Resources are different across different communities that some of the factors that we think of as influencing long-term health 
also differ according to communities. And in my own work focusing on nutrition, physical activity, and weight, we certainly see significant disparities across different communities in terms of rates of obesity, uh, dietary quality, access to physical activity. And those things really make certain aspects of survivorship more challenging in many communities where we see that there are fewer resources to support patients to make healthy lifestyle choices in many communities. Um, and that does disproportionately affect individuals of color. One of the approaches that CATS has taken that's been really beneficial in the cardiac wellness is working with faith-based communities and going to different areas. Um, and while many people may not come to a hospital or come to our center for their program, many of them go to their faith-based community and when they offer a program, they participate in it. So that's how we advertise for a number of our programs. And that's how the, the hot smart programs are delivered in many instances with community groups, with some senior groups realizing that doesn't fit all our population, but that is a way to capture people with some ready-made community groups. Um, and that's often the best way to, to really increase participation because people have built-in support. And when they can make some of these changes together as a community, that can be very powerful because we're looking to help not just the woman, but her daughter, you know, her sisters, you know, her community. Um, and very often the women with breast cancer are extremely motivated to want to do something and often do become champions for women's health. Awesome. Well, Dr. Catherine Alfano, Deborah McElligott, and Dr. Jennifer Ligabel, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Have a great day and stay safe. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.